0: welcome to the Rock's back pages podcast and a very happy new year to all those listening to the first episode of 2022 i'm barney hoskins and i'm here with mark pringle hi barney and jasper meerson bowie hello barney and joining us today is the one and only pete wingfield welcome pete
1: Thank you very much, Barney. Hello. Hello, <laughs> well, hello Mark and hello, Jazz. <laughs> it's great to be here. Good. <laughs> good. To say. Here.
0: Welcome to Hammersmith. <laughs> <laughs> no sleep till Hammersmith. Yeah. We're going to talk in this episode about your career as musician and producer, but let's start with Soul Beat, Aha. the fanzine you launched
1: in, well, what year was it? Can you remember? Well, I think it was early 64. I think. OK. Yeah. But, which, but strangely, which, none of the issues have dates on them. So, <laughs> that's a mark a, of a great fancy. Uh, it's a I mark know, of oh, uh, not thinking yeah. it was going to matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which school? Which which school, which, school, which
2: school were you at at the time?
1: <laughs> it was a very august establishment, <laughs> Wellington College Absolutely. in, in um, Berkshire.
0: Yeah. Marvellous. How many soul fans were there?
1: Uh, very few. <laughs> I, but uh, you know, I, I, there, was, there was a few blues fans and stuff, and you know. But uh, no, it was it was a, it was a kind of I was sort of under the radar there. I did organ, I did manage to organize a trip to see James Brown. At uh, Waterstone Granada, under oh. the auspices of the Jazz Club or the Jazz Appreciation, <laughs> you know what, what he had to do with jazz, absolutely zero. But um, Yeah, that, that was that was quite something.
0: So that is absolutely brilliant. So with the blessing, of yeah, with the, the housemaster, and the yeah. funding yeah.
1: as a sort of cultural, as a sort of cultural expedition. <laughs> <I> think- <laughs> I think Nate uh, Brown was at that show. Was, I'm sure he was. Yeah, he was. He, um, I, 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 he, I, he we would not have been say, in that party. From no, no, he wouldn't. I know. I because didn't. Because he I'm not took sure over Saltbeach, didn't you? You did. You bequeathed Saltbeach to He did. He did. And I, I, I don't. You I, he, he may be correct me on this, but I don't think we have ever, ever actually met. Wow. Uh, it, because so, you know, in those days, it's hard to imagine, but. Uh, Things were so different in terms of communication. Everything was by letter. Yeah, you didn't phone. You didn't well, most people maybe lived at home. You wouldn't use the phone at home. No. You know, there was no question of people. Especially you your
2: father put a lock on the phone.
1: So it was all by letter. So everything was very, very slow moving yeah, yeah. and, and quite formal. Right? Very well, quite formal. <laughs> except well, you just sort of scrawled a letter and opened the bed, But but uh, yeah. So you know, there's no. It was the opposite. I I, I don't want to come through, come over to sort of. Monty Python-esque, you know. In my day, (laughs) (laughs) I used to beg to be dragged across the road. But, um, you know, there was no instant gratification like there is now, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and also the, the pursuit of knowledge was a lot... You know, you had to be patient and very kind of dedicated in finding out about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, once you had the bit between your teeth. You know. Actually, and, what,
2: what were the sources of information for you as a young soul yeah. R&B fan?
1: Well, Radio Luxembourg, Yeah. You know, which, which the great Norman Joplin mentioned when you had him on. Although he didn't mention that, crucially, on Radio Luxembourg, you never heard the whole record. Really well because the uh, all the shows were, were sponsored by record companies, right? Right. So the the idea was not to just entertain you, but to make you buy the record. <laughs> so they would have in a thirty minute show, say EMI or Decca, there would be twenty records. Right. So um, but you know a minute. This was particularly uh, <laughs> particularly bad news for for instrumentalists sure because uh, <laughs> budding sax players in particular because the moment they got to the solo whoop yeah. finger come down <laughs> and off we will go with another record you know <laughs> so you know you would be listening to Little Richard to you, baby. <laughs> don't leave me alone. just as Lee Allen stepped up to the mic Whoop, it was all over.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone would start writing songs accordingly so you get the best chorus, yeah, the right, best yeah, 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 straight up yeah. front.
1: I mean, you try telling Americans this. You know, <laughs> they, well, they, had, they had everything on the plate and consequently, they didn't bother. You know. Yeah, all yeah. Had, to listen to black music, all they had to do was just tune up the end of the AM dial. But, uh, you know we, didn't know, we didn't have that. Uh, Absolutely. That was why yeah. when the pirates came in, it was such a massive yeah. thing. You know? Sure, sure. And, yeah. I, and being born in 48, the... The pirate era, the, the, which I still think of as a golden age of music, really was well Easter, Caroline, Easter Sunday, sixty-four, I and mean be March sixty-four to August fourteenth, infamous date, nineteen sixty-seven, when the Marine Offences Bill came in. That was the pirate era, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was when I was sixteen to nineteen. It was like the most impressionable Fantastic. time. So of I was, course. you know, and and the, they really, they really fostered, uh, fostered the, the you know, independent. So there were lots of records in the charts that were purely as a result of of pirate play, yeah. you know like mm. shotgun wedding also millions of things yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that opened things up tr- tremendously but that, you know that was basically it and kind of i mean how how i looking back at it, this soul beat thing i just knew nothing really i was just 16 year old with with the sort of with a cause if you like and uh, yes. perhaps i knew sort of a tiny bit more than others and uh, and capitalized on that by but why anybody would want to pay for my <laughs> for what I had to say. Yes. It's was, it was just unbelievable. And again that was so the process of it, going back to Solbit itself, was so kind of painstaking. It was all postal orders. Yeah, know.
2: yeah. Um, you know,
1: I advertised in Record Mirror, which was the Bible at the right. time for particularly once Norman started working for it for mainstream information about r&b and soul. so i'll have a small ad in in record mirror that's the only way i, I, I did it and and I ended, up, one. ended up with a massive readership <laughs> i think i reached 100 at one point well for you know, a home built thing was pretty, that's, that's pretty I good, pretty amazing, pretty good. It? It is amazing. Copies i, I think i even sold a couple well. uh, you know for australia or whatever as far as i remember i wish i had the readership list that would be great yeah <laughs> but I, but yeah I don't, because I don't those
0: hundred people went on to do a,
1: a good, a good, prop- critically a, 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 Quite a few of them did, by now, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do remember that. Well, at least to run other fanzines, but and also to, to enter the music business. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I mean, there were, I remember um, Tony Cummings was a was, yeah. a was a reader. Dave McAleer, who yeah. uh, went on to record business. John Philibert, and Mick Brown himself, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know.
0: In terms of your career as a writer, how did you get from Soul Beat to Let It Rock, which is where I first read you? I read you before, long before 18 with a bullet was a smash. Yeah, yes. sure.
1: I simply don't know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really know. I, the, uh, missing well, yeah, the missing well, years. The missing yeah. years were yeah. we were in, we're, you know, at university. In, yes. And uh, I went to Sussex in Sussex 67. University. And uh, had, a, had a band at Sussex, Jellybread, Blue's Brand, who signed with yes, Mike Vernon. Mike, yeah, um, yeah. uh, Mike being, you know, sort of what goes around comes around. Mike, at the time of Soulbeat, just going back to that for a minute, Mike's r and b Monthly run from his house, his parents' house at 3B Godston Road Kenley, which I remember so well. Love all this address. <laughs> I mean, it was a pretty small pond, all the yeah, go, yeah, yeah, And he was the biggest fish in the pond, him and Richard Vernon, and I was like a, a, the smallest of the minnows, really. You know? Um, and that you know, but uh, anyway, so I ended up. As just as sort of uh, justice might have it, you know, or whatever. Signing with uh, we we sign with Mike's r- yeah yeah Blue Horizon yeah. yeah yeah yeah. And just as uh, also with, with Soulbeat, the only I mean the main I have to come clean about this. I'm, I maybe come across two sort of. Um, too much of a noble endeavor you know the, the the main reason for me doing it main motive was to score free records yeah that's what it was all about really because i because you know i didn't know the money to buy records so um, much
3: for 16 with the cause yeah yeah really. <laughs> well the cause was that's that's the the that was the cause
1: <laughs> it did start life at 60 i come, come onto that come Um uh, yeah you know and uh the only the only record companies that i didn't i had singular lack of success in this but the, the only record I that did send me regular records was, uh, was Ireland, uh, the Sioux label run by Ireland. Yeah. Mm. Again, yeah. 108 Cambridge Road, NWC. <laughs> 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 yeah.
2: So got, when did you start playing yourself? I assume you were starting, I mean, were, did you have formal training as a keyboard player? I did.
1: Uh, no, I, mean, I yeah, I, a little bit. A little bit of music lessons and stuff. And um, I had a band at school. Right. We had... It was a sort of book of tea type thing. right. Fantastic, you know, sort of semi instrumental. And we called ourselves, well, we had various names actually. We were the Shoal at one point. Uh, we <laughs> as were, in the Muscle uh, of Shoal. To, I, <laughs> I, I hesitate to tell you another name we had because it sounds, which it wasn't my idea, but it was Pete's Disciples. That was for about a year. <laughs> but it ended up for more, but, but we ended up as a slightly different lineup as the Naz. Right. Um, not, but not the Naz. But not the Tom Rudger yeah, Naz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it from the same sp- same source, which was Lord Buckley right. yes. uh, in his thing, you know, yeah, yeah. his shtick. But, uh, yeah, we were, called no. the, we were called the NAS. And, and we, had, we actually, we you know, we made some demos and that and sort of stuff.
2: Is it true that, I remind me because you told me so many years, Peter and I worked together a million years, th- over 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, books, forgive so ter- ter- terrifying uh, for thoughts. casual
1: <laughs> listeners, forgive the conversational <laughs> shorthand. <laughs> um,
2: I remember you t- mentioning that, was it between school and university where you went to America. And- I did, yeah. Do you want to go into yes, all that? tell, us, tell us the story. But I'll get on a roll, so it's I'm good.
1: warning you. You might have to get the, scissors, the, uh, the digital scissors out for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there was a thing around called the British University's North American Club, BUNAC. And uh, obviously America was the thing. At, at that time... You know, particularly in music. I mean, you know, everything American yes. was bigger, better. Yeah. My one wish was to go to the States, yes. where everything I liked came from. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you know, so people are much more discerning nowadays, and and it's less clear cut. But at that time, that was how one felt. And um, Bunak if you had a place at university and you could, you could get a discounted, uh, you could get a visa to work. Yeah. and a discounted uh, travel and all that. You know, so I went there, but got it, and. Uh, Part of the deal was he went over by ship. <laughs> uh, all students on a ship, can you imagine? From every country. Uh, wow. Sort of Bacchanalia on there. <laughs> <It's such laughs> And this was, like uh, yeah, I can tell you exactly what it was because when we got there, all the Israelis students had to go right back to Israel because it was. The war had broken. Because war had broken. Out. Right. Blimey. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so I got there, I, got a jo- I had a job ready for me in, in the Catskills. Sort of dog's body in a hotel in the Catskills, which which taught me a lot, which I probably won't go into now. <laughs> <laughs> it's got nothing to do with music, but um, yeah, I was on the ship. Great, you know, coming into this is the moment which I will share with the world uh, <laughs> because you know it, it, I don't, I'll, this will never I'll never forget this moment. And uh, you know, I had my little cr- little transistor radio with me, you know, and uh, coming into New York Harbor about six thirty or seven in the morning, mm. sunrise came up on deck, you know, sort of bleary eyed. Turned on, and there's a statue of liberty, and the sun's coming up And I uh, turned on my radio, and tuned, and there was, and I found WLIB. There's Eddie OJ's Soul at Sunrise, <laughs>
4: uh,
1: <laughs> and he was playing this great <laughs> stuff. I thought, Ah, I'm yes. here. <laughs> 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 this is what. This yeah. is what. You know what I mean? Uh, a uh, like like film. So that. that was great, you know. The other thing I didn't say was well, before you could only do this in the UK or outside of the US, you could buy a Greyhound ticket for 99 days, unlimited travel for $99. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I think I must have done about, I mean, I, I went all over the States. I was like, yeah. Why wouldn't they? Uh, I, I did, I did, it. I had I, I companies, you know, I saw James Brown of the Apollo, I saw BB King of the Regal, I saw the Temptations and the Intruders and millions yeah. of other people in the Uptown. And f- Philadelphia. I saw um, what was the bill? I think it was Steve Miller Band, Vanilla Fudge, and Chuck Berry. <laughs> <At> the, wow! <laughs> in that order uh, on the at the Fillmore, right? Everything besides you know Cowboys in Wyoming and whatever. Didn't and you I went ever- round and round? I mean, I went round, round and round, and they had a, yeah. This is I remember this now. They, the The ticket was like a checkbook with you know with, with like yes. counterfoils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you remember such a thing, and you know you t- so. It was 99 days from embarking, so I only had like six weeks. Right. Or something. You know, I'd been around everywhere, and I'd run out of time on the bus because I, I was sleeping on a park bench underneath the Washington Monument. <laughs> 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 I got woken up about six in the morning by this cop, you know, with his gun and everything. So, and I thought, well, oh, <laughs> things can only get better from here. But and then I, and then I, So I thought, well, one place I haven't been is Memphis. Mm-hmm. Washington DC, right, it's just down the road. Yeah, yeah. Americans style. And <laughs> uh, just on a, on a whim, you know. I went to Greyhound Station, Washington, and I had the had the checkbook open, so they didn't see the date on the front. You know, just to just a, just yeah, yeah, to for. Yeah, yeah. And I got on the bus, and they let me on. So 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 I got to Memphis, right? Immediately made a made a made a beeline for. 926 East McLemore Avenue. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, the many addresses you yeah. yeah,
4: Important. So, very important. More exotic, very important. Reign, this really, is important yes. stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, uh, and um,
1: got there, uh, uh, you know, fairly scuzzy neighborhood, obviously ex cinema, ex cinema building. There's a guy leaning against the doorway There's a, as I'm sure you know, the satellite record shop yeah. was, was part of it. Yeah. And there's a guy leaning against the doorway there with a trumpet and I recognise it's, it's Wayne of course it's Wayne Jackson Right. You know, it's Wayne Horns, you know and they'd just been they'd just been to the Europe they'd just the, the British tour yeah. had been that Easter I guess 67 right right. they'd have been popular beyond their wildest dreams they had no idea that anybody even knew who they were all the stacks so they were incredibly well um, you know had a great great sort of Sympathy, uh, great feeling for Europeans in general, and particularly Brits. Yeah. yeah. So the moment he heard my voice, he said, Come on in, man! Make <laughs> us, you know. So there I was, I was in stacks, and, he, in the, uh, uh, and this is absolutely sort of like fantastic. with no planning at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, yeah. you didn't plan in those days, sure. you just went with it. Mm. And so I went in, there's a studio, there's a session going on for Dorothy Moore.
0: No, have been no, no, no.
1: It was a, it was a very minor act on Stexas, but I don't think the track ever came out. Mm-hmm. Dorothy's, I can't remember. Um, various barques knocking around, you know. And mm-hmm. um, Isaac Hayes is in there. Uh-huh. This is no word of a lie, guys. This is true. <laughs> I, I know. It sounds, you know, it sounds like sort of I made it up, but it, it really is true. Wayne sort of shows me through, and I'm, um, you know, through the studio, and I'm sort of fiddling about on the Hammond as we go, and all this like, as a joke, and um, uh, into the control room, which is like the projection room of this, of the, yeah, right, yeah. You know. Quite small, and in there are Steve Cropper, obviously, mm-hmm. Otis Redding, mm-hmm. Eddie Floyd, right, and sort of Steve Cropper's running it. You know, Wayne said, "This guy, this guy's from London, England." Oh, great! Come on in. Have a listen to this. And Steve. <laughs> so, so he puts on this uh, acetate thing. You know, which he said, "We we just cut this last night," <laughs> and he wrote this. He, he put it on. It was um, it was Eddie Floyd's Saturday Night, which has got that boom, like a, a half beat sort of semi-half beat which is great right. Al Jackson which quite a great drummer!
4: well I'm looking for my baby when I
1: find my baby <laughs> and he plays and he says well what do you think <laughs> <laughs> I said Oh, yeah. well, it's great yeah. <laughs> you know I say, it's alright right. Right. I said I was, judged, well, I'm not sure about the middle eight I said yeah it's great you know it's great and he said well it's great, well, I'm glad you like. It. I'm sure it'll be hitting all that. So you know, so I, I ended up just talking to them all, and um, walked out about, I guess, a couple of hours later with a with a pile of forty fives, courtesy of Deanie Ketron, wow. whatever her name was, in the office. You know, wow. and um, I just, I wouldn't say I've dined out on that ever, ever since, but I mean, it's definitely a highlight of my life. It's just fantastic. It's just incredible.
0: You have to talk about your session yeah obviously well, yeah. um I, I just wanted to say that among the pieces that were featured on the homepage is this interview that john tobler did with you oh yeah for zigzag i'm guessing it must have talked to you in sort of late 75 on the back of on the back of and, and, Bullet, yeah. breakfast yeah, yeah. special but you say about sessions i am not a session man i'm not clem Catini. my no. reading's not good enough for one thing yeah I'm a desperate bluffer, yeah. and you say it, and then and then he said, "What have I been on recently?" Well, both Mac and Katie Kassoon hits, Al Stewart's album, a couple of tracks on the Mud album that's just come out. I'm slapping the ivories on Tallahassee Lassie, and let's have a party. Am I really? I didn't remember. I that. I love that. I love that. So, I mean, slapping that was your that really was your life in 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 parallel with yeah, writing. But, yeah, You, yeah. you but, were you were playing sessions all yeah, the time. Yes, so, I mean it
1: was but, largely. Down in the first place to Mike Vernon, who was his sessions I played on, and then it sort of went to other other ones. You know, I've got a lot to thank Mike for, and Charlie Gillett in Chipping, and Richard Williams,
0: yeah, of course. In Chipping Norton. So I mean, I always get I get this reading that interview with you, and also something that, well, that Tony Cummings much, yeah, wrote, right. in, interviewed you uh-huh. for about Blue Eyed Soul. Did he? Did you slightly get this sense that this that Mike Vernon set up in Chipping Norton yeah. was almost like an attempt to do a kind of Muscle show? It was indeed,
1: <laughs> and and the, the, and the Chipping L- Norton. <laughs> and the Olympic runners, uh, the yeah, yeah, set, we Came tri- out of that part. was that was the idea. Well, it didn't come out of that, but no, because we were, we got together in London, but but uh, at the at but Olympic, it, at the at Olympic yeah, 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 just for one session. But I think it was um, Jimmy Dawkins, and then the, the lineup changed a bit. and We ended up doing all our albums at Chippy Norton. Did five albums with them or something, um, awesome. and we never just just jamming, you know, mm-hmm. no preparation, <laughs> Look, studio walk <laughs> out week later with an album. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Chippy Norton. It was it, that was Mike's, Mike and Richard's place. Actually, Richard ran it. When Mike went to more independent production, I'd been working at their record shop in uh, Camden, Blue Horizon Records on Parkway, and they sold that and bought the studio. Oh, right. And Mike sort of went off to be more of an independent producer and Richard ran the studio. Right. But Mike would bring stuff there, yeah. you know, and I would end up... I must have played on about 25, 30 albums there, and I yeah. think. You know, including, wow. including
0: your own album. Including my own which album. Which we were listening to yesterday. it. Can I just
1: say just, just, yeah, to, just yeah, to finish okay. um, <laughs> the are going to tell me David sort of like Cameron
0: came by no no uh, this
1: is uh, first of all just to say this is years decades before the Chipping Norton set you, know, but <laughs> you weren't
0: the but, founder but, but of it the was Chipping, Chipping so, set. but <laughs> it
1: was so low key that even no less uh, an authority than Stuart McHoney when he wrote he wrote a book called In Search of Middle England yeah and um, one of the chapters about Chipping Norton never mentioned the studio no, no. didn't even know about it probably didn't even know about no. it no. no no there you go oh.
0: So you, we listened to Breakfast Special yesterday, and oh
1: dear, I'm sorry well, about it. No,
0: pleasantly, pleasantly. Well, the, the, surprised the to find that it sounds
1: very good. It really, really I does. God oh, bless you. That's I, not that down to me. That's really Barry, the engineer Barry Hammond, who.
0: Yeah, yeah the, but there's, no, there's, no, you, so you write the, the, the songs. You wrote the songs. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: great yeah. songs And the
2: arrangements there. and everything like
1: that. It's terrific. No, it is, I, can't, I Yeah, that's all. I mean, I take the blame or praise or whatever, because it was all me, that, all the voices. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, I think there's a bit where you say, I mean, you literally played everything, and then, the, and then it says, and made the tea.
1: This that's is right. There wasn't a tape up in that session, in that studio. It was just, Mark, just Barry. Yeah, I love your soul falsetto. Yeah, it's just great. It's really crazy. I'm afraid I can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on, <laughs> go know, on, you can. I've got no problem with a it. Do, 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 do. <laughs> but I can't do it. Meaty, with a bullet Got my finger on the
4: trigger I'm going to bullet
3: I'm picked to clip now
2: I'm the son of a gun I saw you playing Van Morrison at Nebworth in seventy-four. And really? I already knew of your name then. I don't know why no, nece- i know. necessarily knew of your <laughs> name. Because when I mean, he introduced, yeah, it was yeah.
1: like, ah, Pete Winfield. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, was, so, what, well, how how was that the case? I don't know. I, well, it's small print, I mean, it's, it's probably just small print on yeah. records, you know, which doesn't exist I, anymore. No, I, nobody knows who plays on anything. Nobody knows where anything was actually, made. Nobody knows what label anything's on. You know, nobody knows but, anything about anything. But <laughs>
2: then, so, when 80 uh, <laughs> The Bullet came out, I absolutely loved it. I'm Martin Collier, our mutual friend, Martin. And I, at art school at the time, just adoring this record. Yeah. It was just, Martin used to do quite a good impersonation of Pete's falsetto. Oh. <laughs> That's the
0: well, yeah. we could get Martin and <laughs> do falsetto it. Falsetto
1: off. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> recreative. Probably great. do better a- again, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, it better than I can now. Yeah, i originally written it with Because I was signed as a writer to Island right. Music before yeah, yeah. Before I signed as a... as a, as a Performer. Performer, yeah. Under Richard Williams as the A&R man at Ireland at the time. Mm-hmm. And Bullet was kind of that. That chord sequence—it it, was—it it was a sort of in the genre, right? But with sort of wacko lyrics about about Billboard, yes. really, you know. Because yeah. I always used to—I loved the American trade. Yeah, I, loved, yeah. I loved the jargon, yeah. all of that. And uh, you know, I used to—I don't know if you remember this, but um, used to you used to be—I mean, Billboard was expensive to buy as an individual. You didn't really—it right. was meant for record companies. And, but you could pick up last week's. In, in Charing Cross Road for like next to nothing because <laughs> the offices would presumably send their office boy with a part, with with this week's billboard and they get they get you know whatever a couple of books yeah, sure. uh, from the shop and they would send it sell it on so you could buy a billboard a, <laughs> a week, week, week later dollar. which is which I, and I you know it was like a, it was fantastic you know I loved all that stuff so and, and Record World too actually Record World and Cashbox Record World was the, the hippest of the three at the one time at one time they had thought it when, when it was a when it was a, finally a a hot hundred hit in the states in winter of 75 they had it at 18 with a bullet on all three trades <laughs> all through trade papers which i learnt later was probably put up job because <laughs> yeah, because, they, because they all liked it so much because yeah, it was exactly. about them uh, the, <laughs> yeah. yes absolutely I mean, yeah
2: <laughs> wasn't 18 with a bullet sampled by hip hop artists
1: um, I've had a lot. have had quite a lot of stuff. So Olympic runners, things, song. right? Because it's sort of bare bones tracks, which Absolutely lend, lend themselves to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So and, and you know, so you find yourself one writer amongst about twelve, because there are <laughs> yes. there, there are the the the, the, D, the the rapper guy and Andy's four mates, and then there's like three or four samples, each of whom have two or three writers. So you're <laughs> so you it's list of writers. It's completely ridiculous. I don't know how the how these things are administered anymore. Yeah, it must yeah. be murder, you know. But, uh, yeah, I don't need bullet. Uh, I think it's a good reason why bullet hasn't been, well, apart from the fact it's probably not suited anyway, but I won't it's, let in six, anyone. Eight. it's in 6-8. It's in 6-8. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's hard to get... It's hard to...
2: 6-8 doesn't work over... 6-8 doesn't no, work over a wrap over a Which leads us on to Mel Brooks. <laughs> 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 and the sugar Hill Gang. And the yeah, Sugarhill
0: yeah, Gang. <laughs> having, yes, one of the, so we, we're featuring this review you wrote... Of the Sugar Hill Yeah, game. I know, which Playing, I didn't... Like, which
1: you'd forgotten about. I'd forgotten about him. it. And I think yeah. I'd already forgotten it by the time yeah. I worked with him two years later. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember... And you've still up. forgotten about it. I've still forgotten about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, uh, well, the, the Mel Brooks thing, we're, talk, we're, we're, we're fast-forwarding here about five years to 81. We are. There's a guy called Joe Lustig, who was a larger-than-life expatriate New Yorker who lived in London and was active as a manager... Largely in sort of folk rock area, fair yes. people, that kind of people. Yeah. And I think he knew of me because I'd done some sessions to Richard and Linda Thompson. Right. Who you managed? He was actually a school friend of Mel Brooks, um, and they <laughs> and he ran Mel's business in Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were, they were they were you know they were big pals, and um, Mel had just done this movie called History of the World Part One, and uh, I think Joe thought he it was a bit he needed something contemporary to hook onto it. Right. Well, the movie was finished. Uh huh. And so he persuaded Mel to the idea of, of a rap, you know, which was like the hot new thing, uh, <laughs> to, you know, to, to promote, to sort of like go along with the movie. And he, th- and he thought of me, you know, I mean, it was a bit of a long shot thinking of me in that respect, but anyway, he did. And uh, so he said, Do you want me to give it a go? I said, Of course, you know. So um, Mel was in town at the, at the Connaught Hotel, which was extremely upmarket, it's like old, <laughs> it's where old Hollywood would stay, you know. So, where you'd expect to see Lauren Bacall or Douglas Fairbanks or somebody, oh, you, know, so. r- you know, very classy. <laughs> um, so I went to meet him there, you know, and um, just immediately struck it off great, you know. And we actually wrote the thing, wrote some lyrics uh, we, we, in his hotel room there, there and then, you know, sort of cobbled it together. Then I, I went to sort of work on the track and when he came back next time, he came back to London, which was very s- soon afterwards, we did the record. For Joe's label, it's good to be the king.
2: Yeah, fantastic.
1: Which which actually has turned out to have legs. Yeah, because um, it's a great thing to say. It's just been used. I'll go back to the story in a minute. But it's just been used on an ad. I mean, this is sort of thing you just couldn't make up. Glamping in the south of France, (laughs) (laughs) upmarket camping, somewhere a thing called Yellow Village. And This is all French, you know. And they, uh, good. The king was big in France because it started with the masses, of course. Yeah. And uh, it's been sampled by rap groups and things, so it's a unknown thing, you know. So they used it, you know, like book your glamping thing, and you'll be you'll, you'll be treated like a king. That's Brilliant. A, My sister uh, runs. A, they had a sort of video small glamp, glamp and site in and uh, in South you know, France. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. You know.
2: Anyway. At least it hasn't been used by Donald
1: Trump as one of his camp, <laughs>
2: campaign
4: <laughs> no, things,
1: which <but> you, <laughs> you can't do anything about. It's happened. You know? <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so we did that, and didn't do much in the States, but it was popular in France, mm-hmm. you know.
3: Now get down, people, and listen to me. Gonna tell
0: you
4: how I made history. You can call me Louis, I'm the king of France. Check out my story while you do your dance.
1: Make a little noise in the States, and it was a big favourite on WBLS, right? Which was the yes, the hot dance station,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, where they uh, had uh, uh, Frankie, uh, Frankie
1: Croft, Frank- exactly. eighth exactly. wonder of the world, all that, yeah, who yeah. I'd actually met when he was at WWRL, right? Well, in right. his um, in his yachtsman's uniform, and all that, oh, you know, fantastic. he looked like he looked to me, he looked like a sort of um, I don't know, sort of. Black David Niven, or did something. he ask you for a
2: backhand <laughs> like... No, 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 no! I,
1: I, what, what a voice! Yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Fantastic! Yeah, is you know, put more glide in your stride, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> put more dip in your hips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was big on. It was big on BLs, right? Sylvia Robinson, yes. S- nay, Sylvia Bandapol Abs- of Mickey and Sylvia, absolutely. Who at the time, at the time had she and her husband Joe, Joe Robinson had left behind a trail of creditors at all Platinum Records. Absolutely. And it started um, Sugar, Sugar Hill. Hill. Yeah, yeah. Not to be confused with Sugar Hill, the bluegrass label right, in North Carolina. Not that we were confused. No. I'm no, <laughs> <no, laughs> sure. Was, I mean, think there, there was a, a huge risk of that. <laughs> yeah. I might be confused. And I'm, sure that, I'm sure Party A had no idea the existence of Party Person. <laughs> but anyway, and uh, she, she, um, she actually did her own version. It's called It's Good to Be the Queen.
4: Yes, it's good to be the queen.
1: probably realised that it wasn't quite as good. Which it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, and she, she found out, she found my phone number somewhere. Uh. And she phoned me out of the blue in London. Sylvia. <laughs> what? You know, and uh, she said, hey, will you come over and let's, let's, get, let's get together and work on something. And of course I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she sent me, a, sent me a, a ticket and I went over. And on the, literally on the plane going over, because it was all very quick, you know. On the plane going over, I, I sort of got an idea just so I'd have something in my pocket. When I got there, you know, I had an idea for a, a title and a hook. You know, but you got some ideas together and on the plane, literally. You know, I got to Newark. I was met by her chauffeur guy who, who, in a gold Rolls Royce,
0: <laughs> which <you've> demanded, <laughs> you demanded. Yeah, of course,
1: yeah, he you know, nothing less. the uh, sort of wise cracking chauffeur guy. I can't remember his name now. He was great, you know, and um, brought, brought me to Joan Sylvie's house. Do you know who I mean by Bob Krasnow? Yes, yes. Uh, blue Thumb Records. Blue Thumb and Icontina yeah. Turner was on blue, were on blue Thumb, early 70s. Mm-hmm. I can say this now because they're both no longer with us. So, you know, and, and I, I don't mean it disrespectfully, but <laughs> it'll give you the idea, you know. So I get to the house and uh, it did remind me of what Bob Krasnow said when he visited Argentina bollock sound in, uh, you know, he said, uh, "I didn't know you could spend a million dollars in Woolworths." <laughs> 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 oh, this sort of table tablecloth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, but you know, and um, and it's funny, you know, that because I, because I, I in that review, I say I say something about having just read it yesterday for the first time like ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, I say something about everything. The, the Robinsons do seem to have a bargain basement aura, and uh, that's the same thing, really. Right? It is yes. slightly that way, yeah, yeah. Know, yeah. But um, Sugar Hill was a, was an amazing outfit, it was very self contained, it's a bit like King Records used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, they had their own little pressing everything, yeah. you know, and they were in Englewood, New Jersey, yeah. crucially not New York, yes, because New York meant unions, yes, and they didn't, it was all yeah. cash, you know.
2: Yeah, 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 and also
1: um, and musicians. I mean, there was, yeah. there was a classic thing: musicians would like hang around in the parking lot waiting for a session. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I march in here, march in there, you know, <laughs> this guy from nowhere, and uh, I've got. And she loved She she loved the idea, you know. So we'd go into the studio street, like the next day, virtually, you know. She puts me up in this motel in whatever it was, fly or somewhere. We we go to, into the studio. This is with. Uh, Great the crack rhythm section. Yes, um, yeah. the, Wemish, Skip McDonald's yes. Stubb yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. Keith LeBlanc. Yeah, fantastic like, band. Uh, these tack tackhead that yeah. one, over, they came yes. over here and became
2: one of the last great studio.
1: Rhythm sections, bands. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was great, you know, they they were fantastic lovely guys. So I march in there and uh we do the track. At that time Sugar Hill was it was very much underground. Yeah. They'd maybe broken through with Rapper's Delight. Right. 79 that I mentioned in the yeah. other article. They were selling lots of records, but weren't really on the charts because mm-hmm. they, were all, they, went, they went sort of um, you know, mainstream. And the way they would work, this is prior to machines, drum machines, mm-hmm. and you know, digital anything. So they would do everything live the full 12-inch length. Right. And it's only if they sold like some 300,000, some huge amount of records, mm-hmm. would they even edit it down to a seven-inch. Right. So that's the way they worked. So we did this track. I was playing the Fender Rhodes, and we we had a brief sort of chord. I wrote out a brief chord chart, but I was like calling out the arrangement live, you know, on the track. Say <laughs> <So>, right, bridge, down, <laughs> bass out, oof, you know. Well, it was it was just so exciting, man. Well, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it was none of this like hunched over a computer saying, like, oh, do this there, and maybe sure. you take that. You know, it was like wow, spontaneous yeah, arrangement. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, and I don't th- I think that comes out on the record so we did that and, and only then once the track was down they were so happy with it that they thought they'd allocate it to the, the top act which was the Sugarhill Gang we then got the rap together for or they did or, I can't remember what happened but you know for the verses mm-hmm. the, 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 um, the track was all there and you know I sang back up with a few Great guys who were hanging around in, in the, parking <laughs> the parking lot. You know, and they were all sounded like you know Donny Hathaway. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they were. They were okay. They were great. They were really up for it. Lovely guys, you know. They were. I'm sure they would admit themselves they weren't the greatest rappers in the world, but no. they just had the biggest rap record. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, and they were up for it, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, they, yeah. It was Fantastic the, pretty good
4: start. record. I am the king of the rapping thing But love is really my game
0: And when it comes to getting the finest chicks I put all the other rappers to shame
4: The ladies scream when I'm on the scene They love my z And when the party's over They stand in line to go home with the Master G
1: So... Two years later, Joe rings me up again. So Mel's done another movie, you know, to be or not to be, right. which was a remake of the 1942 movie with Jack Benny, Carol Lombard. Opinions differ whether it was a superior or inferior remake. Anyway. <laughs> um, and again, you know, he didn't have he didn't have a, a, a thing. The idea had worked before, so we figured it would work again. And um, so you know, once more, I did the same process. Yeah, yeah. I did the uh, did the track it became to be or not to be or the Hitler rap, and this time it was. It was a hit in the, U- in the UK, and he actually, by this time, videos had, had happened, uh-huh. and he went on to do this great video, which was shown on Top of the Pops, actually, you know, uh, so you know, and, and all over the place on MTV and stuff. So we had a little bit of a hit That's there fantastic. again. So that was a, you know. My my explorations into the early world world of early rap. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <was> Mel Brooks. Does rap he even know himself, Mel? Mel
1: w- whether he actually knows that he was the first white act to be in the American uh, White Rap Act, if you could call him that, that to be in the American R&B chart. fantastic. Eat that, Eminem. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> I love, that, I love it. We know the real Slim Shady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Pete, we do have to ask you about Dexies. Yeah, um, Dexies. And, I mean, I'm really interested in, you know... The backdrop of your story leading into dex's midnight runners because of their whole the celebration of soul and the projected passion this like idea of kind of white soul boys. In Birmingham, of all places. How did you... When did you first become aware of Dexys? What was the story? I think um, Van Morrison had something to do with this because they, they didn't they want Van as a producer originally for Searching for the Young Soul Rebels? Could
1: be, buddy. I, I know I know. Kevin was keen on Van. I'm, I've never heard that before. I've no idea. I just uh, I had a phone call from Roger Ames, who at yeah, the time yeah. was was running in RDMI, and he'd known of me. I mean, I hadn't really produced anything... I done I done a record in I think it was seventy five with uh, Mike McGear, Paul McGartney's yeah, brother, yeah, yeah. And they misspelled my name on the label. <laughs> <laughs> Winfield, uh, Winfield. Woolworths, style. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Um, and I had done a couple of things for Transatlantic called Out to Lunch, and a, and and one thing for Ace, a group called Red Beans and Rice. Right, but uh, nothing you know nothing of any name. Yeah. But I suppose Roger must have heard something or other and uh, phoned me up to do go to Birmingham to see this band. And I, just, I mean, I, the people—it um, seems to have sort of mythical status. But with people, that they never had with me. It was just a job, and I did it well. And they were a good band, and that's about the end of that. Yeah, um, uh, and I went and you know went and met them, and they thought they seemed to be very driven. You know, and kind of a <laughs> that's uh, one word. You know, and uh, you know, good good horn sound, and yeah. like, like the same kind of music as I did, and uh, we're up for it. So. Great, yeah. Yeah. So we actually did Gino yeah. at uh, John Congress's place in in Southwest London, and then the the rest of the album, the, the subsequent album, Young Soul Rebels, was done up in Jimmy Norton. Right. So Gino yeah. was done in Mortlake? It was.
0: You know the sure front the really,
1: right? um, at the beginning of Gino, there's a little expectant audience noise. Uh huh. Very much below that if you listen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that came from I only thought of this because you just mentioned his name. That came from Van's album. Too late to stop now. The, uh, oh wow! Uh, it was the beginning of that when it, before anything happens. There's this little, experience. and uh, so you know, so we got it off the vinyl. I just brought my copy in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just put. We're not going to sue for that. Yeah, uh, that's my audience. Let's put this on the
2: podcast. Otherwise, it'll well, be a. letter No, no, no. <laughs> you can't.
1: You, you can't. You can't copyright applause. We did oh, check that. <laughs> <trying to laughs> yeah, yeah. Whose applause? is it? Yeah, whose applause? Who's, whose hands I mean, are those? It was a number
0: one. Who's record? coughing? Yeah. It was. It was a number one. <laughs> Record in this country, I still think it's a fantastic
1: Yeah, I record. mean, it was, it was, a, I, I didn't have, I, I, rec- I recorded it and got organized it and got everybody sounding good and all that with the, also with the help of the great engineer Chris Burkett, yeah, who um I worked with a lot uh, subsequently, but uh, you know, I didn't, it wasn't. Most of the ideas were not mine. You yeah. know, I mean, it was it was it was it was it was sure. all it was all in place already. I just yeah, yeah. produced the track. I mean,
0: Rowland was, was an extraordinary figure at that time. I mean, it still is a rather extraordinary yeah. figure. You know, I have a sort of love hate relationship with that music. But I was I was I was sort of on board for the vision. I don't think and I, I of, have either actually. I mean, I think, <laughs> you know, I think you know, things on that record are like, there. my and, dear. indifference. It's,
1: it's, yeah, not indifference. No, just. Yeah, just enthusiasm, yeah. but not fanaticism. I mean, I
0: think the horn section that that you got on on that is is very very distinctive. It obviously refers. Well, to kind Kev. of stats I, I and wouldn't things, take the credit
1: for that, uh, Barney. I'd take, I'd, I'd, put, I'd give and, I'd give yeah. Kevin the credit for the concept of that, yeah, yeah, or the, or the guys themselves because they wanted a sort of a maybe a more Jamaican type thing with the trombone up yeah. front, more so than more so than a sort of Memphis soul, thing, right? So. Okay, and that's probably what made it different. I don't think I, I didn't quite see this for a while but I came round to it and was yeah, more Rico good. Rodriguez than Fred Wesley they were completely right yeah exactly yeah more, yeah, more, more the scatolites yeah. than, um, sure. than the Memphis Hornets didn't
2: Haunts. they didn't Kevin confiscate the multitracks so like,
1: yeah all well, that yeah Yeah.
0: But I, think, please, I know you feel you had to tell oh, those stories many
1: times I mean, <laughs> okay we'll, 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 we'll <laughs> skip past we can, we can skip past <laughs> <as> you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's all been said and it's all true, so what can you do?
0: <laughs> I, I think it was all worth it for There, for There, My Dear, which I think is it's just fantastic. It's a sort of really piece of music. I really do. Yeah. I might even and go and we'll listen to it again, and and see. You see
1: You seem so enthusiastic. I better listen <laughs> to it again. And the thing yeah. is, I never listen to anything after it's right, okay. No, 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 no. Uh, I mean, I was, you know, I was talking with, with the Everly, said, uh, Phil Everly says you never listen to... You know, you don't no, listen no, to records if, if it was played to him or they were. Uh, yeah, yeah. Know. and I, and Because by the time you finish working on something, you're not, you're you've laughing. heard it more times than any punter yeah. would ever hear it. Absolutely. You yeah. know, so it's yeah. the absolute yeah. last yeah. thing you want uh, to hear. No, plus, you finished know, it. Yeah, And that's one of the reasons I went out of... I kind of sidled away from... Sort of R and B dance music, that kind of thing, because you could never finish. Yeah, you know, you, there was all there was always some, some some remix or something. You know, <laughs> you finish the thing, you take a lot of time putting it together, making it absolutely diamond sharp, perfect the way you wanted it. And the artist was happy, and then you, and then, then some remix guy will come in and get paid more than you had <laughs> to spend a couple of hours, sort of stomping all over it. You know? <laughs> and, uh, I just thought, no, sorry. Yeah, no.
2: no. <laughs> I, 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 I absolutely, I loved uh, your production of the Cane Gang closest thing oh, to yeah, heaven right. I, Is that on the no, tube this morning. It's, it's great. It's record. a, it's a fantastic record. Cane Gang,
1: it? it's so underrated. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, I, I like it too. And they were really nice guys. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah.
2: And your, your Melodica solo on it. Ha ha. Even get Peter's one of the along with Augustus yeah. Pablo, one of the great oh, right, melodic-
1: right, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah we should have yeah, 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 okay, yeah, that, yeah that would be a good trivia thing wouldn't it records yeah. of melodica solos I can think of one um, there's a full tops record not on Motown that's got a melodica solo um,
2: <laughs> you're already scraping the barrel <laughs> and,
1: there's a, and there's a you know
2: didn't you yes. also record a go-go album with the Cane Gang that never came out, or some go-go tracks? I remember be play, playing me some stuff. you had done with them. Uh, which Never saw the light of day. I, don't I think
1: I, I, I'm a bit hazy on this one. I don't. With there were there were a few tracks which I did with them, and there were a few tracks that they did not with me. You know, right. Also from a, they were definitely sort of into that go-go thing. At one time,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Know, Close thing to Heaven was just such a fantastic, great song. Sounded fabulous. Should have been a huge
1: hit. It was kind of a hit. But yeah, it's funny. You don't hear it, do you? No, you know, it's not played on. Well, the Kane Gangs shows.
2: band have got virtually no profile now. whatsoever. No. I think you
1: know. a lot of it is, is business. It's, it, it's you know who's got the rights. Is there and a, kitchen, where, where, a kitchen? Kitchenware, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that was London Records, right? And I think that everything's changed ownership quite a lot. I, I'm not really sure, yeah, right? sure. But certainly, they haven't really been. There yeah. was a, there was a, there was a reissue. A sort of compilation thing, quite a few years ago, but um, but they certainly seem to be sort of under the under the radar. Yeah,
2: anyway, really great rest. <laughs>
3: How did you decide which artists you wanted to work with?
1: I would never I mean I've never hustled anything ever with any description. Uh I'm just not that <laughs> way, you know. I find in fact people who do that are a bit of a turn off really, aren't they? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I would just maybe get a call, they send a cassette or something, you know. Yeah. And um if I like music I'd go and meet the people if that you know yeah.
3: That, yeah. Take it from You there. didn't feel the need to like develop a kind of signature Pete Wingfield no. sound or anything? No, I don't like think
1: that. there is one. No, no, I really didn't. Because I'm a session guy, you know. Yeah. So we d- did all sorts of music and yeah. whatever. Yeah. Just, you know, in service of the song, really. Cool.
2: Yeah. I also saw you on stage with the Everly's. You were there with their first reunion gig at the Albert Hall.
1: Yeah, I, I'd, um, I'd again, neatly segueing from the sessions, I'd, I'd done an album with Phil Everly, yeah. solo, including that hit with Cliff, you know, um, She Means Nothing to Me, what's it called? 82, produced by Stuart Coleman. Yeah. he got me in on it, so I've got him to thank for all this. The late Stuart, the Stu, late Stuart mm. Coleman. Yeah. Sadly, the biggest. I mean, t- talking about the production, the biggest thing has been the Proclaimers. Yes, oh, five hundred miles, miles. That's my biggest production by far. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, they're huge hits. A, huge you know, it's hits. like the Scots national anthem. <laughs> 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 yeah, it, just it keeps on giving, man.
0: Does it? Keep <laughs> yeah, yeah it?
1: the Roger checks. So Craig and Jarvis says we're going on tour. For you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is that why you arrived here in a gold place? <laughs> no, no.
1: no, no, no. But they weren't that great. Craig and Charlie and Kelly McDonald, our manager, they're the only people who have phoned me up to blow me out. Really? Which I thought was great. Because that never that, happens. That's, that's, when I first met them, they were, they were, de- they were debating when they had letter from America. They were, de- they were talked to Jerry Raff- Rafferty and myself. Mm-hmm. And they ended up going with Jerry Rafferty. Right. And, and they called me to say that, you know. And that was such a gentleman. Yeah, it never yeah. happens. No. You always find that somebody, you find that somebody's doing what you wanted, yeah. you know, by, by third party or once it's already happened. Yeah, yeah. And people never blow you. Yeah. They just move on. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and this is all, and not just in music and everything. And sure. Then, and that was such a nice thing to do. I've never yeah. forgotten that. You know, but that's, anyway. That's yeah, right. For 500 Miles, it was one of those things where you, when we did the track, it was just, perfect, you know, I, I, even now, I wouldn't change a thing, right. it was just one of them, you, and we just sat back and listened and thought, this is, this is something <laughs> else, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it very rarely happens, yes, you, sure. usually things, yeah, okay, it'll do, let's move on, yeah. you know, but this one, it was different, you know, Fantastic. and I thought, and it was just, it, and it was, it was such a good groove, a good had a good rhythm, yeah. this was before they had a band, so I had Paul Robinson and Phil Cranham on bass. Jerry uh, Donahue. Oh Don yes, Donahue. fantastic. Who, who's who's who's, yeah. who's in bad way right now? Oh, is he? He's has, he's he's had a bad stroke and can't really do anything. Fantastic player. Mm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was and and Charlie on acoustic, and I played a little, Augie Myers type organ. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Actually, Donahue because in the Everly's, of course, you had, who's oh, that marvellous guitar? You're doing it.
1: You're doing what I I'm said. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, oh, the, oh, yeah. You know the guy. Yeah, oh, what a guy. Yeah, The whole episode. you young. You're too young. This happens you know. already. You know. Albert
2: Lee. Yeah, yeah Albert, great. Albert you, Lee. So you and country, really hot country guitar players have a sort of ongoing
1: relationship. Well, something. Albert was... And it kind of, it, the way it, way, way, way it worked was, Albert was Don's guy. Right. He did That's it. Um, I didn't know him before. And I'd been doing the stuff with Phil and he, you know, sort of rated me. So he, he recommended me. So yeah. When they came to do this reunion based, which was like organised from London. Yeah. We came together and chose. But actually the, those Albert Hall dates was it was Cliff Richard's rhythm section. Right. It was Graham, the late Graham Jarvis, a fantastic drummer mm-hmm. who who went far too soon. Mark Griffiths on bass, and you're
0: um, um, uh, <laughs> someone who's going to be very insulting. Martin Jenner,
1: he would be, but unfortunately, he's no longer with us right. as well. uh, on on guitar. Sorry, Martin, wherever you are, that was great. And and then that went over great, and he uh, ended up properly going on the road and got me over to the states. And it was a whole different lineup, apart from Phil Crown, the bass right. player, um, who I got over because I'd been working with him on Hot Chocolate. Uh-huh. Um, hot Chocolate, <laughs> I great was. Started with a kiss, man, that's all me. Uh, That's fantastic. I love that record. That's fantastic. That's just me that's just Phil on bass, Phil Cranham. That's a great record. I'm on keyboards singing back up with um, Chris Cameron and Errol and that's it. None of the group. That's
2: fantastic. Gosh,
1: Mickey Most, that's somebody else we've been about. <laughs> what a great guy. The king of he was a real epicurean, was Mickey Most. What yes. a great guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He never took himself seriously, and as a result, was incredibly successful. It was yeah. Fantastic. You know.
2: um, I know, but, anyway, back there, yeah, go back no, there. No, I mean, so, so I've, so been, so doing mean, I've yeah. been doing that. I've been
1: doing the stuff with, with Phil. And, uh, yeah, we uh, ended up, you know, being a, a sort of touring act yeah. for uh, 18 years or so. I, mean,
2: I, I seem to remember you telling me that, they didn't share the same planes, dressing rooms, hotels, yeah, this, anything. This was nothing new.
1: This was already written in stone by the time I was, yeah. you know, uh, they, know. They, they, uh, it was a genuine reunion and, they, you know, there was a lot of love there. Oh, don't get me started. Brothers, you know. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I,
1: pff, they're both gone now. But, it, I mean, I ended up being particularly close to Phil and my wife Jane and his wife Patty. He was—he was a friend for life, and uh, miss him, still yeah. miss him. Yeah, he was also. I was, uh, if we ever—if we get to talking about McCartney with, with Mick Green, the <laughs> he, um, Mick was uh, Mick was big mates with Phil because they'd met on some British tour when Mick was playing with uh, Billy J. Kramer. Oh, really? And they would bonded. I, I, I've never—I've never known two guys. I, I only ever saw them laughing. They, they were just—they would go. They were walking. Mick walking <laughs> They'd <laughs> just be like that, you know. <laughs> they bonded over chain smoking and right. humour, right. and of yeah. course, and of course, the chain smoking—that's the reason neither of them are here today. You know?
2: yeah. mm. I mean, I, I, that that the show I saw which was somewhere years after that first one. It was, you know, you actually invited me to see, and uh, right. it was fantastic because. There's Something about that singing yeah, of you know, those two voices, yeah. which the Beatles come directly out of. I've been watching that Get Back movie, and you hear Lennon and McCartney sing together, and it's absolutely out of the, the Everly Brothers. I mean, extraordinary. So, uh, and it's such a great band. I mean, you of course, and, and Albert Lee, whose guitar player long adored. I mean, yeah, stuff yeah, with Emmylou yeah, yeah, yeah. Harris. Yeah. I, I first saw him with Head, Hands, and Feet at the Albert, Hall, you know, supporting <laughs> sure, Captain yeah. Beefheart at yeah. the Albert. Hall. Yeah. <laughs> all all, all yeah. things, you know. it's great, it's great stuff. So, I mean. So you toured
1: and toured and toured them? Turned right? and toured, toured, yeah, all over, you know, not Britain and Britain and the States, but also other countries as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in between doing everything else up until, I guess, maybe 2001, something like that. Right. And, um, yeah, and then they sort of retired and, yeah. and came back briefly for a British tour. Last ever league gig was in Ipswich. <laughs> <laughs> the
2: very last
0: one. All right. The Go <laughs> Probably.
1: Don't you.
0: You mentioned on McCartney, yeah. we should briefly talk yeah. about working on Run Devil Run with right, McCartney.
1: right. five minutes there, just in <laughs> Yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> but he got me in on that, Paul himself, I think, pretty sure, along with Mick. You know, I'd known Mick just meeting him on Everly shows, um, but um, never worked with him before. He was great, what a great player, lovely guy. Oh, great guy. But it's not a good idea to fly to LA with a chain smoker. Because, he, you know, you couldn't... F- a
0: bit crazy. Couldn't though. speak... This, this is, is
1: pre-Nicorette. Pre- this is a... Well, it's post, post-smoking post ban on planes, you know. And he was going crazy by the time we got to the airport. Poor bloke, you know. He, he was... You know, he made a beeline for one of those horrible glass cages that oh. they put the smokers in.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> anyway, I...
1: Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I think Paul was... You know, he was kind of... a Sort of therapeutic exercise. You want you want a thing with no pressures. Do some rock and roll, you know. Mm. And and actually Mick had been yeah Mick had previous with him because he'd done the previous thing like that. He'd done an album for Russia, for the Soviet Union in 1988 of rock and roll covers, and Mick oh. was on that. Mark oh. McCartney had yeah. It's called um, what well, it's called something in Russian, which you can't. You know.
2: <laughs> back in the US it's got Russian title. <laughs> I think it is
1: called something like that. Right, right. Yeah. Or back again in the yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, which had only come out in Russia, I think. You can you know.
2: Someone will find us out, <laughs> not let us know. But no, quite. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and um, anyway, so me, and I think uh, Chris Thomas, the producer, brought in the two sort of rock guys, mm-hmm. Dave Gilmore and Ian Pace. Um, and, you know, he, he just... I remember Paul sort of got us together on the first morning and said, hey, right, this is the thing, you know, we're going to do this just like we used to do with the Beatles. Turn up in the morning, meet, meet in the cafe, have a cup of tea and a fag, and um, you know, I'll play. And I'll play a song for today. Uh, he said, "Except no fags," because that's <laughs> the same apart from no fags, you know. That's what we did. You know, just five days doing stuff, right? And uh, yeah, it was great. Good, it was great. And uh, then he had me do various promotional things later on. Sure, yeah. but it was great. You know, it was nice, nice, nice little thing to have done. He's was sure, lovely. He's sure. such a lovely guy. Yeah, yeah. It was absolutely. no, was no trouble actually. You know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> have you watched the whole Get Back? Get back, okay, no, get I haven't. No, you, right. I'm marching through it at the moment.
1: I haven't. I had have to say the um there's a the 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 cavern club thing we did, um which yes. was a video. You know, uh, the sound check was better than the gig because Paul was so up for it. He shot it he, he shot his voice during the afternoon. Right. He was doing it. He was going for it. You know,
2: in the sound check. So
1: in like, uh, yeah, the yeah. yeah. no, yeah. sound yeah. check. You know, right. uh, okay. yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he was just so into it. You know, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, I mean, listen,
0: go- Going back to your uh, Let It Rock days, just for yeah, one, yeah. one moment, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we've included uh, this piece you wrote in Let It Rock uh, called Soul Foundation's 20 Essential Soul yeah, Records. I, I, just, I just wanted to quote the opening of it. Oh, Lord, I'm going to get shot down for this. I mean, who am I? P.W., a mere mortal of 25, irrevocably bound to one age's conditioning, one set of prejudices, what terrible just sit in judgment <laughs> on the wide experience. What a load of no, 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 I mean, pretentious well,
1: twaddle! <laughs> if, if I think maybe it. it was ironic. I was being ironically yeah. pretentious.
0: Yeah. But yeah, you yeah. then basically <laughs> you that's that's the idea yeah. right, right, to to give right. <laughs> the lay reader a sort of introduction. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I mean,
1: I had no idea I'd written this, and I'm surprised I had the patience to put it together. To be honest, and I was thinking I would have now.
0: What did you say? because It's all like greatest hits; they're rather boring. You said you had you you regret having to leave out so many records. And Uh you say, Lee Dorsey, Louisiana's Ah. funkiest car body repairman, has had his budget best of and his brilliant Yes We Can album sets sliced from the lists.
1: You know, I, I played that yesterday knowing that we were going to talk about it. It is great. It's so so cut down and everything. A lot of acoustic guitar is interesting. And, uh, yeah, that was was so late period, Lee Dorsey. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, so, as a result, we've dug out uh, this week's audio interview, um, which Mark is going to
1: tell us all about. Yeah, it's
2: it's, uh, dear old Cliff White, the late lamented Cliff White, who I'm sure, Pete, you're very well aware of, an R&B writer, summer 1980. Because, uh, well, we'll get on to that. He does talk about touring with The Clash. Um, it's recorded, actually, at Sea Saint Studios in New Orleans, which would have been great, except the sound quality is terrible because it's one of those dodgy cassettes. One side, the last three minutes on side two are fabulous. A broadcast quality. A broadcast yes. quality, and the rest of it's like mud. But um, he's just had a motorbike crash. Uh, I imagine he managed to fix his own motorbike, given the fact oh, that he was into his auto mechanics. Not his body. Talks yeah, talks about ya, ya, his early hits, um... Talks about his love of repairing automobiles, which I, I love, one of the things I love about Lee Dorsey is that he, well, if, if the music business had died, he'd have been perfectly yeah, Absolutely, happy. he
1: had his casual attitude it came out on the stage. I also, he also gave me the impression he'd be, he'd rather be underneath a car than behind yeah, a mic, you know. it's ab-
2: almost uh, true. Abso- absolutely. Uh, he, he talks about touring Europe in the, back in the 60s and how much he enjoyed it yeah, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. His early love of the likes of T-Bone Walker, Wanani Harris, and he talks... Quite extensively about recording with Alan Tuesday. Shall we listen to the first
4: clip? Sometimes, you know, Alan needs a bit of stirring when it comes to recording, you know. So so when it's almost time, like if we're going to record Monday, you know, I'll I'll probably start Saturday or Sunday. (laughs) So it could be fresh, you know, on my mind and everything because uh, he, you know, he wants it just so, and if it's not that way, he's gonna have to do it over again anyway, so he may as well try to get ready for it. Plus, uh, you know, he wants you to put something in it. It's, it's a little job trying to, you know, portray someone else's feelings, you know? But for some reason, he and I always, uh, got along fine there, you know?
1: It certainly sounds like it on the records. Oh
4: yeah, yeah, I don't think I could really be successful with anybody else, uh, It was just one of those lucky things, us getting together, you know, because uh, he seems to know more about what I can do than I do. (laughs) And so far, it's worked out fine. I love that. I mean...
2: They're, they're, what a great combination, Alan! to Saint Lee Dorsey were. Yeah.
1: Um, Apparently, they were. They spent a lot of time together just, outside of the studio, just either, hanging out, friends, very fond of yeah. each other. I
2: think um, yeah. it, it, it's absolutely terrific. I mean, uh, you know, like you, Pete, but all of us in this room actually love New Orleans R and B. You know, mm.
1: but it's something very. I have heard partic- a song about it. Sorry, you scratchy forty five <laughs> tribute to him. You ever heard that? <laughs>
2: no, <Nah>. sorry, <Pete>. sorry. <laughs> I just love that. There's something about the way that he talks about. Two cent there, and those records I think are really particular. Uh, they got them, even yeah. by New Orleans R and B standards, they got a very particular sounds and sort of yeah. Range. And they don't
1: really date because they were so sort of quirky in the first place. A- abs- yes,
2: absolutely. He talks about well, listen to the next clip now. Um, touring with the Clash, <laughs> <laughs> marvellously unlikely.
4: We just finished the tour over here, not too long ago, about three, four months, I guess now, with Clash. You know, you know the Clash group over there? That's right. And uh, they're, they're a hard rock, you know, but then they wanted me to be on the tour with them anyway. It worked out fine. <laughs> I thought it was great, you know. I, I said, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> 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 well, because they, they cut up, you know what <laughs> and here I am you know my little voice I said how did the audience take to you beautiful beautiful I'm telling you it was wonderful I really I really I really enjoyed it and and the people enjoyed it I guess they were trying to figure out what was happening to you but then you know when I when I start singing and they start remembering well then I got my my share of the ovation too I know we can make it I know done well we can work it out
2: I mean, it's, this is a very good point, because uh, the audience in 1980, they may be kind of like young punks, but they will remember Holy Cow and songs like that, because right, they would have been probably. around. You yeah. that's the fun. He talks
1: about... Well, no, that, that was... Uh... I mean, you are talking about 65, 66 yeah. I think older punk, older, yeah. older punk. Yeah. Yeah. not older. Yeah, but they were long in
2: the tooth. Yeah, punks. but they would have yeah. been hearing on older stations and so on and so yeah. forth. You
1: know, but, but, what but, old did any We're talking about. Side cuts on. It's really
0: nice to hear that he had a good experience yeah, no, with uh, the Clash because well, actually you might Grand, expect Grandmaster, Grandmaster Flash had yes, got right, buckled up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I imagine
1: they probably made him feel at home, you know, because they were yeah, fans and all that.
0: Just so lovable, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. in this interview, I mean, he's, so he's one of those people who just finds everything amusing. Yeah. he's just well, laughing. I only I
1: I I saw him live once, and that was actually, I think, my band, the Naz, this is '66, were, were, were the bottom of the bill, and he was top of the bill at some club. He was being backed by a group called the League of Gentlemen. Um, yes, who, who I think were probably named after the movie, I would imagine. Yeah, and certainly not the TV shows much later. Um, <laughs> Yeah and he was he was great he was he, he had that vibe you know the same vibes on the record I, I remember he was he was just he didn't need to do much to kind of exude... Uh, I I Every little live, thing but... he
3: does can be funky.
0: Yeah, really? yeah, <laughs> yeah, That's
1: yeah, right.
0: He's yeah. such a distinctive voice, isn't he? It? it is not it, it, it its It's always well, got that kind of Bayou yeah, you sort can tell of who it is. country quality. He's
1: got that, that yeah. accidental thing. You just know who it is from yeah. one word.
2: i was saying to Barney yesterday that Johnny Adams is the only other singer who really reminds me at all of Lee Dorsey. And they're both more or less the same part of the world, so maybe there's some sort of regional aspect of New Orleans... Aspect Louisiana aspect to it, but true. He talks about the Yes We Can and Night People albums. Night People being, I think, it's pretty much his last album.
1: Yeah,
0: um, close
2: yes, it was it yeah. seventy so, eight? No, it was. It was before then. But anyway, it, it was. It was a fairly late one. Yeah. Uh, we a clip at the end but of ABC. the podcast where he talks about the importance of having a decent road band and how difficult it is playing with pickup bands. Really nice interview. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just, you know. Do- N- lovely sounding
1: guy. And, yeah. Did, do, do, you know, do you know about the brinsley Schwartz thing with him? No, no. Well, I think I'm. I'm pretty sure I read this somewhere. Group brinsley Schwartz states that then they went to see Lee Dorsey in his, at his at his body shop, you know. And he greeted them. He said they, they were having a drink. He said, "I, I sorry, man, I've, I've got to, I, I can drink bourbon. I've got to put it in milk because <laughs> oh. he had a stomach ulcer, right? Know? And then and they sort of stuck with them. And when they, when Schwartz got back. You met, you saw the um, Dr. Feelgood guys. You know, uh, Librillo. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. where the title Milk and Alcohol Al.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: fantastic. But I, I, I mean, I just read that somewhere. I yeah. may be wrong. That's a nice footnote.
2: Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's, so that, that, that's it. It's a good listen to slight, slightly yeah. murky quality. Yeah,
0: interesting. Towards the end, he mentions um, wanting to do a country album. Yes. Found, and, and there are tracks on Spotify f- that either came out as an album or were for for that album. He does some... Um, there? Is there know, anything on
1: Spotify that didn't come out?
0: There are things on Spotify that didn't I come didn't out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Yes We Can album, which is, of course, so brilliant, on Spotify is not not the original album. It's it's, it's a rather peculiar thing. Yeah. yeah, but he but he does. There's a version of "Am I That Easy to I Forget?" Will. and the Freddie Fender. Oh hit, yeah, yeah. Hit that, some, hit, of on, some of that stuff. Some that stuff of has come out has come on come Charlie,
1: out. and it's beautiful. It's a double album. It's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he it's, makes it's, a great it's, country. It's called song. "Am I That Easy to Forget?" Yeah.
2: yeah. 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 So it like I was saying to Barney yesterday, that my best bit of record buying ever with my student grant, and uh, I think September '75, I bought "Yes We Can," "Sneakin' Sally Through the Alley" by Rob Palmer. Uh, Rejuvenation by the Meters, Seven Nights by <laughs> yeah, the New Orleans Feast. Uh, but I also bought Mr. Magic by Grover
4: Washington okay, doing slightly
2: right? lets the down. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty good, sort of five albums with yeah. his student, pretty grant. good student grant millennials just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, hear yeah. that and weep. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. well, with Jellybean, we, uh, you know, we just put the student grant at the bank and lived off the bank. <laughs> You
0: know, go. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's that. one. Yeah. I mean, given we're sort of talking about country music, uh, mm. I, I just wanted to note the passing of Joe Simon, um, who was roughly from the same part of the world and and was very much. One, one of the sort of the great country soul singers, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And I think absolutely. he died about three weeks ago. But
1: this is your area because you
0: know, it, 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 one it time is of part of my heartache. area. Though I never, yeah. I was never able to interview Joe. Son. I think I got him on the phone in Chicago, and uh, but we just, we just never managed to hook up for an interview. But I mean, his records on Soundstage Seven really were probably like kind of peak country soul. I think it's such yeah. a beautiful voice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a forgotten name. These days, yeah, do really? no, I, I mean, don't
1: know why really? You know, he's never that big here or anywhere else in Europe. But, but, but I mean, yeah, unjustly. His style, really, I would say, is the opposite, is the, sort the of polar opposite of what's around today with the, mm-hmm. all the ultra millism. You know, he just sang the song in that, yeah. fairly straight in that great with that great timbre. You know, yeah. and uh, that was it. Yeah. yeah without
2: sort it's of... It's, it's very nice hearing singers who actually sing the song. It's very know,
0: rare It's unusual, isn't it? Yeah. We, we have... We've, we've added a piece by Roger St. Pierre, also no longer with us, from NME, yeah. July 73. The headline was Country Joe, which I was rather liked. And Joe says, you know, it's not such a strange thing, really, that I like country, because I grew up listening to Nashville Sounds on the radio. And anyway, country, gospel, R&B and soul are all close together. And he talks about the album that that was going to come out, I think maybe later that year, which was called Simon Country, Country, pure, pure country songs. But
1: using the same musicians that played on these other records.
0: Absolutely. And of course, I mean, the last thing I wanted to to remind people is it was Joe who sang Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross at Otis Otis Redding's Funeral. Which yeah, I'm sure you knew that. I, I only recently yeah. found that out. Yeah. And
1: uh yeah, they were big friends apparently. Yeah. They were big friends.
0: So I mean he, the way off. he said
1: the way he says and there's a there's a video that's worth looking up on YouTube, um that I think it's sort of put out by his own uh, organisation, um from twenty sixteen where yeah. he talks about that. Yeah, I think he, he saw the him, He gave the impression that he and Otis were the only straight guys with all the sort of uh, drugs and everything else going around in the business, and they bonded over that. That's (laughs) that's the vibe that he gave. It's an interesting watch, actually. Yeah, it is. Because, you know, he's a preacher he's a bishop now and, yeah. and it sort of slightly has that the way born again people tend to be a bit of a pin in the neck there goes
2: our born again <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> both, both of them yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> rather rewriting history right. you know like yeah. saying I hated rhythm and blues yeah. so why did you do it all these years you know? yeah no uh, all, cool yeah, it's great and, it's and also uh, referring to himself in the third person which is the, you know, the, never a good sign. never a good never a good look <laughs> Meant to love you. Didn't you Lord know Babe? Didn't you Lord know Why couldn't you be content with the love I gave?
0: Also wanted to say goodbye oh, yeah. to Janice Long, who was yeah. a beloved DJ and um I'm very very she my band were three times the sessions
2: for Janice Long, including the one before we even signed, which actually helped us get signed. So I have a personal, something of a personal debt. To yeah. Janice Long. And I
0: mean, by all accounts, just lovely. Everybody adored her. So yeah. we've featured this um, interview that Neil Tennant uh, did with her in January 1985. Fabulous. Pre Pet Up Boys. Splendid. Um, or what? Pet Shop Boys were already in motion at that point, but he was still what features editor at Smash It. So he says, Janice Long, you see, is a real person rather than a media personality off the air. She's just as talkative. Cheerful and enthusiastic about bands and the issues that concern her listeners, as she is on her evening radio show. She says to Neil at the end, Radio is a male domain because people have thought that it is and so haven't actually done anything about it. And she, but she says, But now you can join the BBC, get married and have a baby and come back to it. You don't have to stay at home. It was also a myth that only blokes were interested in music. And then, most poignantly, she says at the end, I don't believe in age. It's like racism or sexism. I think if you're still in touch with what's going on, fair enough. It doesn't matter how old you are. But having said that, I don't think I'll be sitting here at 65 playing the new one by the Toss Pot. (laughs) 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 Or whoever it is. And of course she died at age 66. Um, um, Mm. But really a lovely person. Important, important DJ. So uh, Mm. bye Janice. And at this point I'm going to hand over to you Mark.
2: New last couple of weeks in the library... Last week, a joint interview Roy Carr and the Enemy in 69 interviewing George Harrison primarily, but Eric Clapton as well. Eric's on the Delaney and Bonnie tour at the time. It's a kind of big Eric and George loving, which of course ended up with George's wife leaving George for Eric, but other stuff and so on and so forth. And it's just, you know, Eric Clapton, you know, we were worn out by the end of that cream thing, tired of the image, tired of the music, tired of touring which uh, one can understand. 1971, Lon Goddard interviewing the bands Richard Manuel. That had been when the bands were in town to play the role, Albert Hall. Correct, definitely. Which has been re-released released on the... On the fright. Stage fright. Special edition. Right. Yeah. And it's sensational. The BBC recorded it on 4Track, I think. Richard Williams turned me on. "Me too. He ever Turn saw, me on yeah. too." Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 And it's one of the, it's a great live album. It's absolutely it's up there with Rock of Ages. You know, uh, which is the,
0: also a fantastic, which is a fantastic record. album. Yeah. But
2: it's set, and it's, this is recorded about six months before Rock of Ages, it's June seventy one. Mm. And it's absolutely sen- sensational.
1: Tisane, which, which, t- t- uh, well, with Daniel the, Toussaint. There we the go. the Rock of Ages. It all goes round. Um,
2: anyway, so Rich Manuel's very very good. He says um, uh, many people have tried to do another Woodstock, but it's like trying to celebrate Christmas in July, which is like, a reasonable point. I love this. Studio men tend to cut out or turn down the foot tapping and natural noises that go on. We want them left in. And that's very much, particularly, about oh, yeah. uh, John Simon's approach
1: to producing. In the pink and all that, yeah.
2: Yeah. Moving quite a way forward, January 82, Mitchell Kern reviewing Prince's Controversy. Controversy. Contro, con- controversy. I always they're not Controversy. I think controversy, controversy in America. That's what he's saying. That's right. Controversy, controversy.
0: here. Yeah. So we yeah. call it so Controversy. We, I mean, <laughs> controversy. <he's>, Prince's Controversy. <laughs> controversy. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: high-fidelity magazine January 82 and he said he's capable of irresistible black pop tunes like the motown influenced private joy and the adolescently titled jack you off (laughs) this last song (laughs) this last song on the lp is a hip-shaking romp that describes prince's inexhaustible sexual generosity he satisfies his partner in cars movie theaters restaurants and almost parenthetically bed before expecting reciprocation The moral majority may not be amused, but the performance is a brazen combination of R&B urgency, rockabilly... Impudence, rock-a-billy. Hendrix, rockabilly impudence. there, there, there
0: is a, a slightly rockabillyish track on it. Is it the one well, about yeah, Ronnie well,
2: Reagan? Hold on a second. We're still talking we're about still Jack. On you on. off? <laughs> uh, Hendrix guitar and the confidence of a kid who thinks he can get away with anything. I mean, it's actually a really good. It's a really good review for, uh, of a not terribly good Prince album, in my view. In your view, um, <laughs> yeah. right? Moving on to not the, one of the not I one of the best. Right. No, this week on
0: Dirty Mind. Um,
2: more in. Even, even we were so pleased to get Maureen Cleve on board, but she died recently. Yeah, but no, uh, yeah. uh, we got her on board before she uh, sadly also went into the, what Alzheimer's, basically. Didn't she? She yes, was, her interview with Kathy Kirby from the Evening Star in 1963, and did, I love I like, gig with her as well. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you tell yeah. us about your gig
1: with Kathy? As well as one of these, um, you know, multi artist sort of one song each type. Yeah, thing. yeah. Sixties so way back, I can't remember. She, she just did "Secret Love." She was great. She, Although you know, very, sort of, <laughs> you know, because it starts off with that, her version of Secret Love starts off with a sort of banshee wail, you know. And she could still do that. She did sort she? of did it off, as far as I remember, she sort of did that off stage. I shouted
2: from
1: the high she comes out great... because
2: I mean, she, she's one of these artists who got lost. When the Beatles emerged. I mean, so the mm. Beatles' first tour was supporting her, I think, I'm pretty sure. One of their very early tours, they were supporting Kathy Kirby. Mm. She says, mine's the type of face that's got to be fresh and plumpish, the bubbly type of face. I once wore a very low dress on television, and it looked ug, like I was in a bathtub. Nowadays, I try not to show cleavage.
1: Wasn't she married to Ambrose, you know, the, the 1930s dance Oh, Oh, because she toured with
2: him. She um, was in Ambrose. his Ambrose.
1: She was in his band. I think She I think, was in his I band. I think there were a couple, you know, there like was a generation between yeah. them. But I think, yeah.
2: Because um, in this interview, she talks about how she, she started off as the, the feature uh, singer uh, in his band before going solo. So that may well yeah, that may all be true. Okay. Yeah. Barn is very pleased about this. Pete Johnson, we got on board very recently. I got a slightly irate email from Pete saying, why, am I, why isn't my writing in Rock's Back Pages? He wrote for the LA Times from, like, 66 to 69 and covered really fantastic stuff. His an interview with Van Dyke Parks from 1967, which we sort of regard as gold dust. He says, I think that's what the death knell for swing band, the big band, the booze thinking, the wet head syndrome, the high ritualization of the whole swing band thing, that jazz thing, it just drew its own noose because its attitude could not meet the exigences of public awareness, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> there are no interviews
0: like Van Dyke Park's oh, interviews. Just run there by <laughs> me again. Oh, oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you a printout. No, no, no. no, no, no Study it.
2: <laughs> I love this. is great. It's, it's time for a repudiation of the bourgeois sexual overtones of rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just marvellous. I love, I love Van Dyke Parks. So I, mean, I, I, mean, so I don't like his music that much. I love watching him interviewed, hearing he's got the most fantastic
0: Southern accent. Very camp Southern drawl. Despite living in LA for like 70 years. He's still got the Mississippi accent. Bizarre.
2: (laughs) Oh, this is great. Robin Katz, Record Mirror, 1976, interviewing Wild Cherry. She says, Wild Cherry win this year's Pete Wingfield Award for fooling a lot of people about their ethnic origins. There you go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when I had the afro going on, people used uh, More than once... People ask which island which island I was from. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so I said, oh, well, that would be the GB. <laughs> we made that the poor quote
0: yeah. Yeah. on the home page. We just yeah, couldn't I,
1: resist. I, I a lovely I, bit of serendipity. I, I, I,
2: just, I just love that. <laughs> but you know
1: what? With, uh, with um, I, I, I it sort of played badly that because I hadn't realised, I was so sort of idealistic and I think, I hadn't realised quite how... Sort of um rigidly, people thought about those things, particularly Black Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, they just didn't want to buy a record by a white person. When the, when the, when they were going to put out my album, the the American side wanted to dump the artwork, right? And put they wanted they wanted to have it's called Breakfast Special. They wanted to have an obviously Black arm reaching up into a supermarket shelf for I don't know grits or something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I said, and I basically said so, no way it's my boat race it goes on there you
2: yeah know. absolutely and
1: um but it well, didn't serve me well because it you know, died like a stone it, i mean but
2: it's a real problem I mean, The average, average i could have,
1: could have had something to do with the music on it <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think well, uh, as you know you we know. like we, well, we, but we the average
2: white it. band were one of the few white acts that yeah. genuinely cut they through did, the they, they did absolutely did yeah really well it was
1: disco that blurred the line yeah. i mean we were, we're to, with me we're talking about before just before disco really and uh uh, that, uh, that was the point when, particularly with a station like BLS I was talking about earlier, they played stuff from Europe, all sorts, yeah, yeah. and nobody really knew knew was. Well, a lot anything, of the like, Runners tracks were, were <laughs> big jams,
0: big hits. in well, nobody the black knew, Community,
1: but nobody, nobody one knew. We were, were British, white. No. we were on London records. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. And on no vocals. Because we were signed so just, to London Records in New York. Right. So that's why we were on London here, London sort of uh-huh. London American. But uh, Mike had signed them to signed us to, with a guy called Walt McGuire to London and New York, so that we had nothing to do with Decker's London office. Right,
2: right. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, last thing. But that's uh, quite true, yeah. Shelby Lynn, this is re- Tom Cox's uh, review of I'm Shelby Lynn, Guardian, September 99, and this is the album we both Love. Do you know, do you know that? No, I'm uh, Sh- uh, which uh, Shelby Lynn. I know Shelby Lynn. I am Shelby Lynn. It's the yeah, I think I got that. First yeah. big one. Tom Cox says, Long after the ephemeral output of Reba, Mindy and Trisha has been consigned to the eternal redneck car boot sail in the sky, yeah. I am Shelby Lynn should endure as a rich, timeless chronicle of a troubled yet single-minded southern belle who knows she rocks. Now, it, I love this record. I mean, it, I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. And she sort of disappeared, didn't she? Yeah. What happened to Shelby
1: Lynn? Uh,
0: well, it, it may have had some... Her commercial decline may have some, had something to do with the fact that she came out as, as a lesbian. But she still does pop up with a record from time right. to time. Because I thought... But it was a great... Record. I thought she... Mind
2: we saw it at the Shepherd's Bush Empire. I didn't love it. You, I think you enjoyed it rather more than me. With a I actually can't remember I, that I, show, it's but like I. snarling. But, um, you do like to snarl. At I do gigs. like to snarl at
0: gigs. <laughs> and walk out. It's quite hard you to know, hear the, the gig yeah. over the sound right. of Pringle Pringle snarling. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yes. Could somebody uh, turn down the snarling, please? <laughs> yeah,
2: it was a Mick Gardner's review of James Chance and the contortions at the venue. And I sat next to him, and he basically wrote up my snarling in
1: his, his review in Record Mirror. <laughs>
2: I've got Jack to I've got, I've got, I've got oh. find that. So yeah, I was
1: going to say, at least you can do is publish it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah. that's
3: my lot. Jasperuni, any? I'd like to start with something a little bit different, which is a David Toop review of a Taku Sugimoto album, live album called Italia. Good yeah. <laughs> um, he's a he's a Japanese kind of free improvised guitarist. Right. The review begins. Just as you're about to go on stage to perform your improvisation for Damp Leaves, Aerated Confetti and Contrabass Bed Socks at the Tunnel Milan, you realise that the entire audience has rediscovered the lost art of conversation. What to do? The options are limited. You can stalk out to the microphone, deliver a tight-ass lecture on the sanctity of your art and demand total hush. You can sing a bunch of songs they all love, though... Atomic Kittens' greatest hits played on damp leaves may lack the necessary lift that the occasion demands. <laughs> <laughs> Alternatively, wrench the PA knobs round to 11. Why not? And blast them with an hour of unbroken consciousness-shredding noise. Et etc. Et but it's just a great, great yeah. review. And, and he says, what I'm really wondering about how he does it is how he sustains this kind of poise over lengthy periods of time, because it's talking about playing really, really, really quietly in the hope that your whispers will spread stealthily through the room like fairy dust. How he holds an audience in a state of suspended expectation, drawing them into his micro world of partial gestures and exploratory calm, without <laughs> unleashing a battery of coughing and walkouts. There's a surface tension like liquid quivering above the rim of a cup, and it's just—it's just, it's just um, a wonderful piece of writing. I love. It's just you know written with a total understanding of what free improvised music is about, and it's just just great. I
2: love it when when David's guest on the podcast. Uh, very early on wasn't he and, yeah, like, yeah. and uh, we, he's into all, all this really out there stuff and you know as I am now myself we asked him at the end what, what do you listen to at home he said Seventh to soul <laughs>
0: I love, that. I love that. Yeah, what well, he was Not, not atomic, non <laughs> damp leaves. non damp leaves, the one that really that, that toe tapper.
3: Next up, Dave Simpson reviews Wolf Alice at Newcastle University. On the face of it, the former fitness trainers and ice cream salespeople from London could hardly be less fashionable if they sat around smoking dope and listening to Supertramp. Wolf (laughs) Alice mixed grunge and shoegaze, genres that both had their heyday before the band members were born, but bring youthful energy and concerns, friendships, fears, loneliness, goth, to a similarly new audience. I I quite like Wolf Alice. They're quite a fun kind of indie-ish band that have been steadily increasing in popularity. And I first saw them with about five other people at a tiny, tiny venue in Oxford. And now uh, they're huge. And now they're huge. (laughs) But no, they were really good even then. They had a real energy that lots of people that play to five people in a community centre don't have, oh, yeah. so so they're, they're pretty cool. Good. Lastly, after the Australian Music Prize, Sampa the Great wanted to set her story straight, Jenny Valentish in the Sydney Morning Herald, and she's a rapper who I really, really rate. She's just fantastic. The culture of rap is liberation music, she says, and with that came an attitude. But as humans we have different facets of ourselves. Sometimes you want to talk about your heart, sometimes you want to talk about your spirit, sometimes you want to talk about your soul, sometimes you want to cry. I thought if I brought in my femininity to my music it would be considered weak, but it's actually proven to be the opposite And that's great because her rap is distinctively female. She's got a song called F E M A L E. It's got real power and real poise and I just I think she's great. I wanted to mention that good stuff.
4: Woman, gonna come and applaud. Got my back, woman. I do applaud. I'm an F E M A L E from the ghetto. And she got a brain instead of she work by now. Still got time for the metro. Answer my way and forget about the ankles that they get her. Got the ankles, so she never leave the ghetto. Gotta tell them kids and my cousin how she gonna let go. Oh, she a queen. And you know she never leaves, well,
0: well, got I think, in the interest of time, this may be the longest episode we've ever done. <laughs> <in the county. laughs> We're sorry about yeah, that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> My apologies. No, 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 no. It's been it's absolutely been, delightful. It's been absolutely it really delightful. It's been um, splendid you know, if it wasn't for time descriptions, I would like to just sit around and yak all day with you. I really would. It was because it's, it's it's just very really easily well, done. but you, you make it, it two, sorry,
1: Make it, yeah. oh, parts one or two. Make it two Parts <laughs> one. <minor>. Oh, <sorry, laughs> you used <laughs> to love side, yeah. album, Didn't yeah. you, Wasn't that when you, you used to love a record parts one? Yeah. Yeah. It always, always good. Well, part yeah. two on the B side. Yeah, yeah. It had to be that's good, you know. Okay, that's how we'll do this
0: podcast.
1: No, no. Well, not the Yeah,
0: But who gets the credits? Who gets the credit? The what's great about
2: James Brown albums is that the album have both Parts one and part two together as a single, but
1: oh, cut. do they? The on one, on one or two cold I, sweat. Now I've never heard cold sweat. It's always fades down and fades up again.
2: Yeah, that's that's infuriating. Someone should <laughs> dig out the tapes. because everybody got roasted in the Universal <laughs> fire. That's I another
1: son, person who died fairly recently. To to um, to look more on is Pee Wee Ellis. Pee Wee Ellis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah. A couple of months ago, wrote yeah. cold sweat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. course. <laughs> I think it was great. Um, uh, who's the
2: marvellous drummers? One of the marvellous drummers. Stubblefield, Clyde Stubblefield. Clyde Saying, saying that the, the, the great ignored member of that band is Jimmy Nolan. That no one, everyone talks about the James Brown band. No one talks about Jimmy the yeah. guitar player. And he says, Jimmy Nolan doing that ding and ding a ding a ding He says, that's the invention of funk. Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, guitar yeah. part alone is where funk started. Because instantly the whole band went,
1: bah, And he'd doom. been doing that. I mean, uh, if you listen to some of his solo records on King... Yeah, Jimmy Nolan, fantastic, and he does a bit of that jang. jang. Yeah. that was his thing,
2: you know. It's just extraordinary yeah. guitar, player No one, th- everyone talks about everyone T Bone like
1: Walker time. meets I don't know, funk, yeah. Yeah.
2: but I mean yeah. the ability to play just two notes all night on a yeah. song, yeah, yeah, song yeah. and just yeah. be
1: absolutely in the pocket. I think he just had he not just joined then, it was somebody else before that. I think
2: I was very, it was very, it very early Nolan. Very, very, yeah, probably. In fact, there was a great ch- a bunch of changes in James Brown band because Stumblefield and the other guy had just joined as well, pretty much oh, the, the drums. A revolving door for lots of know I know. Place,
1: no, oh, anyway, Pee-wee. I remember the so, first time I met Pee Wee. Uh, you know, I said when were you exactly when where, where, where were you were with, with James Brown, and he said, you know, he said like I, I can't remember exactly, but he said like from the fourth of April, such and such. to the first, <laughs> <laughs> he, he knew exactly <laughs> where, You know, <laughs> we got to go. We've got we gotta to
2: go. go. We've got to let Pete <laughs> go. Um, the last clip is going to be uh, Lee talking about his road bands versus. Um,
0: pick up, up bands. bands and it's in broadcast quality and it's in broadcast quality stay tuned yeah
2: yeah now, who's our next guest do we know or is that still up in the
0: air our next guest it's a really good question i think is michael simmons the la writer oh, format, right. editor of national lampoon and then i think it's kate mossman after that oh, that'd be fun so lots of good guests coming up this year Please do tune in. Thanks for joining us today, and Pete, thanks for being here. Thanks yeah. for coming into HammerSmith. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure! Thank you Cheers. so much, and uh, we will all say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
4: Get out my life, woman. You don't love me no more. I've died to death. I've been at a death of minute. night trying to fool with you know little bands like in Carolina or Florida, and then you turn around and go all the way to New York. So you got different musicians. I mean, yeah, they're musicians, but they're not listening to New York to what they're listening to in Carolina or, or, or you know, or Florida. Uh, they may be on the jazz kick up there, you know, doing blues jazzy, you know. And down there, they want country-western uh, style. I mean, so it's too hard, you know. It's easier to, it's more expensive. I mean, it's expensive. But then uh, I think in the long run, you know, It pays. Because it saves you anyway, you know. I think so. Because you have to work too hard. Ooh, it's hard enough trying to deliver. Let's not worry about who's playing what behind you. (laughs) Get out my life, woman. You don't love me no more.
3: That was Lee Dorsey in conversation with Cliff White in 1980, concluding this week's Rocks Back Pages podcast. Many thanks to special guest, Pete Wingfield, the host of Barney Hoskins and Mark Pringle, and it was co-hosted and produced by Jasper, Muris and Bowie. The Rocks Back Pages podcast is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. You can find thousands of articles, as well as hundreds of full-length audio interviews, at rocksbackpages.com.
4: Get out my life, woman.
0: Fantastic.
1: Thanks, Great. Super. Great. Excellent. That's a wrap. I forgot Love to mention the, it. So the uh, you know, th- little things one doesn't know. The um, committed, I was really gratified when it was mentioned. You know, giant Harris. The yes. Chocolate mm-hmm.
2: Writer. Yeah.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Her, her follow up to that. Uh, no, was it before it? No, before it. Blackberry Wine book mentions, you know, it's, it's talking about the summer of 75. Something about... Um, Oh yeah, no. So sort of sitting in the field, listening to Pete Wingfield singing "18 with a," I've been featured in a fiction novel before. So.
3: That's, right. that's, <laughs> that's a good one.
2: That's really good. Going going to good one, tick off. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that. that's really good.